0: Well, good morning and happy Easter. It's good to see all of you here today. We are, I, I guess, our third and fourth service uh, of seven services is going on right now, of course, here. And uh, we have two services out at Midlothian that are taking place this morning. And in all of this, folks, thousands of people, uh, already over 2,000 in just the three services, uh, all, thousands of people are going to be here this weekend. Why? For one reason. We believe. We believe that a man named Jesus is more than a man. We believe that Jesus died on a cross for sins, for our sins. We believe that he conquered sin and death and the grave and that he rose again. And that through the power of that resurrection, he shows himself to be the very son of God. And we believe that through that Jesus that you and I, that humanity can be restored to God, can be forgiven of sins and can have eternal life. Man, we believe some great stuff, don't we? Praise the Lord for what he has provided for us. You know, it's amazing. These things that we believe, that we hold so precious, that we hold so true to our lives, you know, we can look around and reality tells us, the scripture tells us, that a lot of people are just going to consider what we believe to be silliness, foolishness, nonsensical. And we can get a little defensive about that, but when you stop and think about it, it's not actually normal to believe that somebody's up and out and walking around after their funeral. That, that's not a normal thing. As a matter of fact, even the scriptures illustrate just such a story right in the heart of the story of the, the crucifixion and resurrection. As a matter of fact, that guy kind of got a nickname from that story. We call him Doubting Thomas. You know who I'm talking about? Let's look at that story this morning. Would you open your scriptures with me if you have your Bible and open it to John chapter 20. You'll find John the fourth, book into your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. If you get to Acts and Romans, you've gone too far, turn around and go back. John chapter 20, I'm going to begin reading in verse 24. Now where I'm picking up reading, just to make sure we're all clear where we are, the crucifixion was on Friday, Sunday morning the body is missing, the tomb is empty, and then it doesn't take very long before Jesus starts to appear. appears to an individual and then to several, and a little bit later he appears to all the disciples except one. And that one is who our story is about this morning. Look with me here, John chapter 20, verse 24. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, hey, Thomas, man, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, man, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, place my my finger into the mark of the nails and, and place my hand into his side, I I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him. My, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. You know, for me, the jury's still out a little bit on on what I think about Thomas. Do do I understand his struggle or or, or do I not understand? You know, there's a part of me that, that doesn't understand because I would so much like to have been able to see the things that Thomas got to see. And I bet you're just the same. Man, Thomas got to see Jesus walk on water. Thomas saw Jesus speak to the wind and the waves and they obeyed. Thomas watched as Jesus picked up a a few loaves and a a couple of fish and fed thousands and thousands of people, over 10,000 people. Thomas heard. Thomas heard Jesus teach. Such authority, such knowledge, such compassion on everything. Why Thomas even saw Jesus walk up to a grave of a good friend, Lazarus, A man who'd been in the grave, not not four minutes, not four hours, four days. And Jesus called him out. Jesus raised him from the dead. And yet with all that Thomas had seen and heard and experienced, with Thomas' best friends... These are his best friends telling him that he's alive. And yet with all of that, Thomas not only says, I I can't believe. I mean, any of us could say, man, I just can't believe something. He didn't say, I can't believe. He said, I won't believe. Kind of hard to understand that. And then yet I think to myself, man, what am I thinking? Of course it's easy to understand that. It's not normal to believe people are up and about after their funeral, is it? Think about it. If you go to a funeral this week, you and you go with a a, a couple of friends, you you go with your mate, you have the funeral, the funeral passes, a couple days go by, and pretty soon your your mate calls you. Pretty soon some friends come running into their, man, you're not going to believe who we saw today at the mall. They're alive. You know what the first words out of your mouth are going to be? I'll tell you what they're not going to be. You're not actually going to say, well, praise the Lord. You know what your first thought is gonna be? They're crazy, or they're lying. Now folks, I can't, obviously I can't say every single person in the room is gonna believe, but I am confident that's what our first thought is gonna be. Somebody walks into me, somebody I love and trust, they're alive, I'm going to, and you're, you're, you're crazy, or you're lying. So, you know, part of the reason I don't understand Thomas and I do understand Thomas. And then I realize, well, you know what? It's kind of irrelevant whether I understand or don't understand Thomas. Because I know somebody in the story did not understand Thomas. Did not validate his doubt. And that's Jesus. Jesus walks up to Thomas and says, do not disbelieve. There is a... A kind of a flavoring there in the, in the Greek grammar there is a word being used that, that folks really adds kind of a harshness to what Jesus is saying we would probably read that and it, it, we should hear it sound like this it should sound something like Jesus saying hey Thomas stop stop your unbelief and belief folks Jesus expects belief and I've always read this next line and thought, how cool. Man, we get a blessing. When, when Jesus says, hey, there's going to be a blessing for all those who, who don't see. Hey, that's you and me, right? I, I didn't see him walk on water. I didn't see him call Lazarus out of the tomb. I certainly didn't see Jesus resurrected and appearing. So when he says there's a blessing for those who haven't seen, that, he's talking about me. He's talking about you. But then I realized, hey, wait a minute. In the same way that he's pronouncing a blessing, he's also letting you and me know. And yes, you out there who never saw, I expect you to believe. We are a people of faith. You know, that, that word faith is, has really kind of morphed into a, a new word in the last, I don't know, 10 years in the American culture It it, it seems like more and more when you use the word faith, you're almost using a word that that is communicating something anti-intelligent, anti-scientific. If you talk about my faith, it's almost like you're saying, hey, here's where I take my brain and put it on a shelf. Here's where I ignore truth and data and evidence and I go chasing after fairy tales But folks, why that word might kind of have that feel in America today, that's not what the word meant in the Greek language. It's not how it was used in the first century. It's not how it was used in the Bible. The Bible constantly communicated that faith was built on something. Faith was built on truth. Faith was built on what was revealed. Faith was built on your experience. It never had the idea of disengaging your brain. As a matter of fact, don't we... Don't we know that? Think about something Jesus taught. A a guy walks up to Jesus and said, man, a lot of commands in that book. What's the most important one? I think a lot of you know how Jesus answered that. Remember what he said here? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with what? All your mind. Jesus says, hey, God wants you to love him with your mind. Hey, folks, God made us with a brain. That was his idea. It was God's idea that we be thinking, reasoning, intelligent beings. It, it was God's idea to build a universe where 2 plus 2 would equal 4. And E would equal MC squared. And there would be gravity. That was God's idea. And God put in us a, a zeal, a, a passion, a thirst for knowledge, for discovery, for invention, So if God made everything like that, then why would he create a system where knowing him, worshiping him, and following him means we would disengage our brain? No, folks, we love God. We love God with our brain. So let me assure you, the faith that the Bible calls for, a faith in the Bible, a a, a faith in Jesus, is not a faith that calls you to disengage your brain. It calls you to engage it. Because folks, however you approach scripture, you find logic, you find truth, you find accuracy. Approach it psychologically, approach it relationally, approach it financially, approach it historically, approach it archaeologically. However you approach the scriptures, you find it absolutely accurate, absolutely true. Never, think about this folks, never wrong. It never leads somebody to the wrong place, to the wrong way, to something that doesn't work. Never, not once. Always accurate. You can always trust it. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes we have to catch up to the Bible. You know, we opened up the, the Bible and we read stories about certain kings and events and uh, certain towns. And, and then, as history continued to move forward, we lost a lot of those things. And so, what happens is, for centuries and centuries and centuries, history can't verify some of the things the Bible are saying. And, of course, for some people out there, the Bible's not a source of truth. Anything the Bible says has to be verified somewhere else. And so we're going centuries, and man, there's no evidence of such a king. There's no evidence of of such a town or an event. And then we come into the 18 and 1900s, and archaeology just explodes. I think a guy named Indiana Jones did that. I'm not not sure I saw a documentary or something like that. But folks, archaeology just booms, and it's just finding new things, and the science is getting better, and the dates are getting better. and, And as that happens, guess what happens? We found that king. We found that town. All of a sudden there's evidence of that event. All of these findings prove one thing after another in the scriptures. You know what's never happened in all of those archeological findings? Not once has something been disproven. Not once. We don't have one shred of evidence anywhere that says, well, you know, hey man, hey, the Bible's 99% there. Hey, everything misses here and there, right? No, not one thing. Not one thing has ever been disproven. Now, I, I say that. Obviously, there's some things in Scripture that are, that are not going to be proven by archaeology, like the very story that brings us all here together today. Yeah, you're not going to do an archaeological dig and, and prove the resurrection, and so a lot of people would say, you know, you only find that story. You can only see something like that in the Bible. And I don't, I don't accept the Bible. I don't believe the Bible. Ah, but the problem there, folks, is you actually can learn a lot about the resurrection outside of the Bible. You can actually prove a lot of things outside of the Scriptures. And when I say outside the Scriptures, I'm not saying let's just go to other Christian writings. No, folks, we can go to historical secular, non-Christian writings, writings from the Romans, writings from the Jews. And we can say a number of things very definitively. It's an historical fact that a man named Jesus lived. I've actually seen writings that would suggest he never even existed. That's just idiocy. It is an historical fact, not only that a man named Jesus lived, but that surrounding his life were stories of miracles, claims of his being the son of God. Now, obviously people then, people now don't all believe those miracles. Don't all believe his claim to be the Son of God. But those things were connected with that life, were connected with this man. It's an historical fact that the Jewish leaders rejected Jesus, that they turned him over to the Roman government uh, for crucifixion. It's an historical fact that Rome did crucify Jesus. It's an historical fact that it happened on Friday. It's an historical fact that on Sunday morning the grave was empty. That the tomb, the body was missing. That's an historical fact which demands history to answer what happened to the body. Now, obviously, there's more than one possibility that he was resurrected. I mean, obviously, people are going to come up with other ideas, even plausible ideas. Somebody stole the body. The Jews stole the body is an idea. The Romans stole the body. grave robbers, who can account for them? Of course, the most plausible idea... The disciples stole the body. Would they not have the, the biggest reason? To, now they can run around and tell this story. So we got these things. Some people say, oh, he didn't die. He just went into the tomb and got to feeling better after the beating and, and went on about telling people, look, I've conquered death. All kinds of stories. But folks, here's the thing. When you go to the historical data of this story and apply not faith, but when you apply a critical mind, a mind looking for data, looking for evidence. Do you know all of those possibilities start to slip away and really only one possibility rises to the top when you look at the real evidence and data? And that is that Jesus Christ is alive. That he did indeed rise again. And and, and that's not even getting into the eyewitnesses. I mean, what, what's more important in a court of law than eyewitnesses, right? Eyewitness testimonies, not of one Not of a dozen, but of hundreds, folks. Jesus appeared to hundreds of people over 40 days after his resurrection. And they went out and told people. Now, let's be fair, okay? If somebody comes in and tells me somebody's alive after they've been buried, my first thought is they're crazy or they're lying. We've already covered that ground, right? And I would imagine as these eyewitnesses went out and told people this, they got a lot of that response. But folks, what are we going to do with the data? Are we going to just, just, just wave our hand and dismiss hundreds of people? Every single one of them was insane. Really? Because it would take about as much faith to dismiss hundreds of people as crazy as it would to say, well, maybe they're telling the truth. Well, maybe they're lying. They've got an agenda. They, they want to prop up a new religion and they've got to say this guy's alive. Yeah, but a lot of them, not a few of them, most of them died for their eyewitness testimony. They were killed for saying what they were saying. Why do you die for what you know to be a lie? Why do you die saying you saw something that you never saw? They weren't getting anything out of it except run out of town. No, folks, the... The evidence suggests he is life. Folks, we actually can come to Christianity and use words like evidence and logic and a study of humanity and a study of history. And it, it all really leads us to believe that, hey, faith in the Bible and, and faith in Jesus, obedience to the Bible, obedience to Jesus, man's crazy. It actually makes sense, it actually works over and over and over. Now, having said all that, (laughs) I don't want to talk to you this morning at all about any of this. (laughs) I, I, I think for you and me today, believers in the United States of America, evidence isn't the big issue, folks. Us plumbing for the evidence, us plumbing for the accuracy. Folks, we need to remind ourselves that we're a people of faith. And we need to be proud to say we're a people of faith. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. We believe. Do you? Do we? Are are, are we living in a belief that is growing stronger, that is getting deeper each and every day of our lives with each passing year? Are we becoming more proficient? Are we becoming more bold in living our faith, in communicating our faith? Are are we more so today, Easter of of 2015, than we were last year, Easter of fourteen? Do we have actions and disciplines in our lives so that our faith is going to be greater and stronger next Easter? Do we believe? You know, the Bible says that God created all things. That by God, through God, and for God, all things were created and all things are returning to God to answer to Him. Do I believe that? The Bible says that God is good and just and loving. That He has all power and wisdom. If all these statements, it just simply comes, do I believe that? It's a yes or a no. If it's yes, then that should mean I'm going to move and live and think in a certain direction. If it's no, well then, yeah, silliness. I don't guess it matters. The Bible also says that I am not good, just, and loving. That I do not have all power and wisdom. As a matter of fact, it says that I am a sinner. That I am grossly unprepared to meet God that I am grossly unlike Him, grossly unlike His heaven. And that really actually is bad news because the Scripture says, I do indeed have an appointment with Him. So do you. Hebrews chapter 9 says, that it has been appointed unto man, every single one of us, to die once. Somewhat irrelevant what age it happens at. It's been appointed unto man to die once and then we face the judgment. Bible says I'm not ready for that moment but the Bible also communicates that God loves me even in my choices even in my decisions, even in the path that I've gone, that He loves me and He desires to correct this problem, I can't correct it But He desires to correct this problem between me and Him. And He moves, not me, He moves to send His Son into this world. And Jesus is the answer for my sin problem. Jesus is the way for me to get back to God. And the Bible doesn't say that Jesus is a great way. doesn't even say He's the best way. The Bible says that Jesus is the only way to God. That Jesus is the only answer to my sin problem. Do I believe that? Do I believe that? As this scripture tells us, looking around in the world, it tells us that many multitudes will consider this absolute foolishness. Of course, it also says that many will believe and center their lives around it. Both will have their future eternity shaped by it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. John chapter three, it says that whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Do you notice here, folks, how the word believes and the word obey are used almost interchangeably, synonymously? I think that's so important to recognize because I think we've all seen around us there is a belief that is almost meaningless. I mean, I'm, When it says whoever believes, surely it's not talking about a meaningless belief, but there is a belief that says, oh, sure, yeah, believe Jesus is Son of God, died on a cross, rose again. Sure, I believe that. It doesn't show up anywhere in my life, it doesn't affect my life, shape, direct, motivate my life. Oh, but I, I believe, no, that. It's not what it says. It's a belief that is evidenced in obedience. It's an obedience that is driven and motivated by belief. Folks, I believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ vaults him way out in front. Way out in front of all the world religions. All of the ideas and philosophies of mankind. But I think even more important than that... The resurrection of Jesus Christ vaults him out in front of all the things and the people and the ideas that you and I run around chasing day after day, looking for happiness, worth, meaning, looking for a way to deal with our guilt, looking for a way to to get to God, looking for a way to find fulfillment in life believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ demands our consideration. And upon that consideration, Jesus would say to you, and he says to me, stop your unbelief and belief. Let's pray. Father, we have gathered here this morning on two different campuses over a whole weekend because we believe. So many of us in this room, right here, right now, we are believers. Our belief is real, it is genuine. God, I pray that it will grow stronger. I pray that it will grow deeper. I pray that, that we will become better at living and, and letting our lives being shaped by that belief. I pray that we become more bold and better, compassionate at communicating and sharing that belief with an unbelieving world. I pray our belief changes our lives as you designed and intended. Lord, I also pray for those in this room right here and right now who do not believe. I don't know who they are, Lord, but you do. You know and who in here for whatever reasons has not come to that place of a real and genuine belief that would result in eternal life and you adopting them as your very own child and them being forgiven of all their sins. Oh, Lord, I pray that right here, right now, today, that you would do a a work in their hearts and in their life to bring them to the place of belief. God, I pray that they could join us in saying, we believe, we believe. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.